BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Incomparable, number 619, June 2022. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm Glenn Fleischman. While Jason Snell is conducting the annual staff review in the rear of the Zeppelin, I've taken the helm to talk about cartoons. Specifically, we're talking about grown-up cartoons. That is, animation designed with an adult sensibility, as opposed to, say, adult cartoons, which often means something entirely different. We're going to talk about this overall trend, some recent series, older faves, and probably a lot more. Joining me on this episode are Moises Julian. Does this mean we can curse? Uh, I don't know. I have to ask the editor. David Lore. Fire. 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 I <laughs> wasn't expecting that. John McCoy. <laughs> I, I have nothing funny to say. <laughs> I know. We put you on the spot. This is the, this is the trial by fire. Lisa Schmeiser. Hello. Fire. It's a sick, sad world. <laughs> yes. Tony. Tony Sindelar. Hello, nerd. Uh, Cowabunga, nerds? Cowabunga. <laughs> Cowabunga, indeed. Um, well, this show has been much on my mind because uh, during pandemic, a lot of animation got released, maybe because it was easier to produce animation during pandemic. I don't know, but probably. But uh, a lot of new series came out, and some of them were uh, exceptionally uh, violent, and some had overt or graphic sex in them, which was surprising when I was watching The Legend of Vox Machina with my 15-year-old, and I was like, oh, okay, all right, well, I guess we, you know, <laughs> have some more discussions. But uh, So I was thinking of uh, Invincible, which we did a uh, Mothership episode about, a uh, hit monkey, and I uh, said Legend of Vox Machina, um, and, uh, you know, you go back not very far, we've got Harley Quinn, uh, I think the last episodes are a couple years ago on HBO, Tuca and Birdie. Uh, maybe Archer was kind of a prototype and the Venture Brothers. So I've stuck a sort of rubric on this to give focus. But I would ask everybody, and in your own ways or in, in any kind of free-for-all you want to talk about, how would you define what like a, a more kind of grown-up cartoon is as opposed to an all-ages cartoon or a kid's cartoon or something that is really designed entirely for an adult sensibility, like children should not watch or on what how we define children. <laughs> where, do you, where do you all come down on that? If I could uh, misquote Clone uh, Clone High and take us way way back to the 1990s, um, I, I there's a there's a big old list of stuff that uh, the uh, the esteemed Mister Sindelar has provided us with, uh, and near the top of it is something that comes to mind when it comes to defining adult animation, and that is the Jason Alexander starring Duckman, um, <laughs> yep. which is a great show. It's it it's filthy. It's it, it's it's silly. It's uh, ridiculous. Um, it, it was rather unique at the time in that I guess kids could watch it, um, cause I watched it and I was a kid. Um, but the same thing could be said about night court and night court wasn't really made for kids. Um, and, and that's, that's very much, um, you know, to me, the, the dividing line is, was this made such that adults and kids could watch it, which more and more stuff is being made that way now. Um, 
but th- there was there was very much a clear divide between things. It, it, you know, it does it doesn't necessarily need to go to Ralph Bakshi territory. Um, <laughs> please no. Uh, no I don't no, I don't no. know that anything needs to go to that territory. It's <laughs> God. Um, but um, but th- it's it's really it's really something that for quite a while came down to um, in Western animation specifically that kind of a clear dividing line. Now, Eastern animation, things have been all over the map for a long time. Um, and that goes to a lot of the source material that, that, uh, animes, uh, adapted from where, you know, you would see salary men headed to their, you know, job on the subway reading manga. And still to this day, it's kind of a, what is that grown man doing reading Miss Marvel on the train? Um, <laughs> where there, there's a, a very different cultural sense sensibility about it. Um, so I, the, the ease of access to stuff from Eastern animation uh, changing over the last 20, 30 years has made it so that we see more of that stuff and see how much more common it was um, that, uh, that, that loads and loads of stuff, um, you know, was, was made specifically with an adult audience in mind. And, and that, that bleed over line, you know, adults and kids welcome sort of thing is something that's been around in anime for, for a while. Um, and of course, you know, you've also got cultural uh, differences to take into account when it comes to uh, the appropriateness of certain kinds of situations and so on. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, for, for me uh, in my personal history, the dividing line was, was Duckman. That was, that was Duck me Man. understanding that this is something that, it's not that I'm not allowed to watch it. It's that it wasn't really made for me, but I guess it's okay for me to watch it. Moises, I'm so glad that you made a distinction between Eastern and Western cultural conventions in animation. Because one of the things that I was thinking about when Glenn posed this question is that in Western animation, stuff that's made for adults is a lot more comfortable with ambiguity and it's a lot more comfortable with a lack of emotional catharsis and a, a closer reading of, like a, a closer reading to the, to the everyday adult experience and what i've noticed from watching anime or you know even japanese animated movies is those stories tend to be very comfortable with ambivalence and a lack of emotional buildup in a way that western stories overtly are not and what i've noticed in animation for children versus animation for adults is that in animation that's explicitly aimed towards a kid audience is you almost always have a, a practically Aristotelian <laughs> Ars Poetica type arc <laughs> oh, where yeah. the conflict is laid out very clearly. Um, even if they're shading to the villain, for example, in She-Ra, like the whole point of that series is villain becomes, you know, hero and finds love. Um, but there's a really clear moral arc and there's really clear emotional catharsis and really clear resolution of that conflict. And what I've noticed is in stuff that's aimed at adults is that's not always going to be the case because the people who write that have calculated that adults are, have, have more tools in their toolkit for sitting in that liminal space or that not resolved space and being able to still like enjoy or engage in the story. I, I remember growing up watching battle of the planets which, you know, it was, it was just after Star Wars. It's, it's a space, spacey adventure. Um, and there, even, a, even as a child, there were parts of it that seemed odd, right? The animation styles <laughs> didn't quite mesh, right? And, you know, here's one character who is 
totally isolated in one spot, never interacts with anybody else except by voice. Like, All right, that's a little weird. And every now and then, like Turner Broadcasting would would try and repurpose it under a new name with new <laughs> character names, and it was it was it would get more and more juvenile as it went. G Force. And and yeah, and there, I forget what the third one was. Was it Eagle Force or something like that? And and when I discovered Gotcha Man, I was like, ooh, I I recognize this. Let's let's delve into this. Now this is a few years ago. This is when it was still hard to find this, these things. And wow, it is totally different from Battle of the Planets. It is not aimed at children whatsoever. <laughs> And incredibly violent, incredibly violent, sexually ambiguous. Um, there's depth to the characters. Uh, it's, it's kind of astonishing. And, and now I much prefer that the battle of the planets theme by Hoyt Curtin is a great theme song, (laughs) but aside from that, (laughs) save um, that for the theme song animated cartoon draft, which we we should be doing. And, Uh, and so it was like, that that to me was was a certain line. It was like I before that I didn't realize how much had been repurposed and cut and changed and edited to to be palatable to America or even to be aimed at the at the wrong audience. You know, what? that was not the audience it was aimed at in Japan. Well, it was the rise of cable TV, right? This is our I mean that's yeah. kind of the that's the Duckman thing too. I looked it up by the way. Duckman was 1994. That's, you know. Yeah. Now I, now I feel old or not quite as old. I don't know. It seems like it's, <laughs> it's when I was still in my 20s. Uh but well, and yeah, I, and like, I remember that was it was wacky because it was a cartoon scheduled at 10:30 at night on a Saturday yeah, night. Yeah, and stay up and watch it. It was like right? appointment TV for again for adults or a And DVR I was I was in my 20s, so We didn't have DVRs. What am I saying? I said DVR in 1994. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know what time is. Uh, but yeah, but so there's that, there was that, uh, uh, this point at which I think cable networks seemed like they suddenly had enough money that they could commission or, you know, take on series. Right. So that's kind of the, the beginning point because networks were, were so, even with, uh, some shows that were on at that time, I think they were still pretty conservative and nobody knew who was, nobody felt that adults would watch much animation. That was the other part. So it was kind of the education thing. Um, I well, mean, and, and you had The Simpsons break out, but that was kind of all ages once it became a series. Mm-hmm. But then you had Fish Police and Capital Critters like, and I was like, is Family someone going dog. to mention Fish Police? Fish oh, police. I'm totally going to mention Who Fish Police. Who will speak for Fish Police? <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 only, I, only yeah. three episodes of it aired. And Glenn, you don't, need, you don't need to know anything past the title. It, it's, it's, all, it's all packed in there. But David, would you uh, would you remind people the, the premise of Capital Critters, a show I also can't really believe oh. existed? Oh, I mean, I remember when it premiered because all the hype was from Stephen Bochco, the creator of Cop Rock. Yeah, thank you. Come on. Amazing. Mention a good show. But it was was about. Capital Critters is about mice and I believe cockroaches. Cockroaches. All the vermin living in the White House. Yes. (laughs) So you're talking about an elected official and their staff. Is that it? Uh, Well, Uh, yes. Um, (laughs) No, Capital Critters was insane. You think Cop Rock this is, is nuts. This Co- is 1992. I mean, I think Moises is on to Duckman was probably a success. These are shows that, yeah. you know, aired a couple yeah. episodes. It was the and, first one. They were forgotten. Hit. Yeah. These were experiments. They, they, had, to die to, they yes. had to die to fertilize the ground that Duckman sprang from. Duckman <laughs> is a, you know, is a... a uh, pyramid that they are they are these people are buried inside as workers so yes um. but but also you had the the big difference being uh 
that fish police uh, family dog all those were on broadcast tv yeah and broadcast tv didn't have the patience didn't want to have the long lead time didn't have any need for you to oh we need identity we need this show whereas usa network is like we're wacky we put weird things on saturday nights let's do it and (laughs) it just sustained because enough people liked it uh, John, what's your experience of this of this era? Were you an animation fan in those days? Well, I, I've, I'm an animation fan going way back. I think the thing about the early 90s, I mean, Duckman was certainly an outlier, and that was based upon this the, the, the creator's comic book that he'd done. And so it, it kind of came out of uh, sort of some, something else. I think that a lot of the animation out of the 90s came ultimately from things like the Spike and Mike uh, festivals that were going on oh, in, yeah. in, in colleges at the time that all were about being as extreme and as violent and as um, norm tweaking as they could be. And even kids shows, uh, cartoons shows at that time partook in some of the uh, sort of aggressively ugly stylings of that. You know, oh, I, yeah. I, always th- I always think like yeah. Rugrats is kind of uh, made yeah. to look... Oh, the whole- all the Klasky Supo shows. Right, yeah. all, all, all those things. But, but you know, a lot of that was, um, you know, I, I love Duckman, but all I can think of when I think back on that was there was a, a show on MTV called The Brothers Grunt. Oh, which yeah. was mm-hmm. which was like everything that was wrong yeah. with early '90s animation. It was it, <laughs> there was no premise other than you watched these strange people make faces like they were going to have an aneurysm for like a half an hour, and then they would show music videos in between it. It was it 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 made sense, I guess, in the time, but um, but you know, the, the, I always feel like with um with when we talk about adult animation there's there's always one or two outliers of people trying to do something really interesting in the animated field animation field and then there's like one primary model that everyone else latches onto and unfortunately i think that since the early 2000s that primary model has been family guy yeah uh, because yeah. every yep. every yeah. damn thing that <laughs> netflix does that's not uh, Tuca and Birdie or uh, Bojack Horseman seems to have that same bland, flat look, and it's all about like cutaway jokes. And I mean, isn't hasn't Seth MacFarlane isn't he, he even he trying to basically reinvent Family Guy? Over yeah, pretty much. It came in like that once. Yeah, I was gonna say I love I like the series Big Mouth on Netflix, and mm-hmm. I think the writing is nuanced, and I like that the creators have made an effort to address screw ups that they've made with characters and voice acting decisions and plot lines and do better each season. I think that's important. But yeah, it's basically like a really filthy family guy. (laughs) (laughs) What what family guy would be if he could get away with it. John brought up um, uh, MTV animation and that, that makes me think of liquid television, which I came to late in its run. Yeah. Which was incredible. MTV's oddities. Yes. MTV's oddities. Eon Flux came out of that. The head. Did anybody but me watch the head? The head, yeah, I watched. I like yeah. I thought the head was. I, it Team was. The Max. It was clever. The Max. The Max. And I went back and read the comic books. The Max was ba- based on because I didn't understand the show, and the show is so beautiful and stylized. I'm like, oh, I can't, this is totally incomprehensible in its source form too. But the Max was was beautiful and strange and defied um, 
defied any clear interpretation. So it was almost like a surreal, gorgeous thing, kind of in the middle of that sort of brutalist animation style that John was talking about. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Should we move ahead to the future? I kind of want to, I mean, we, we laid some groundwork here, but I'd like to talk about some more recent stuff and then we'll devolve into the past a bit more and talk some more about these uh, earlier eras because I'm curious what people are watching. You know, I mentioned some newer shows like uh, we did the episode on Invincible. Um, there's a lot that just came out and, uh, you know, I wasn't, I don't want to say I was traumatized by Hit Monkey, which I understand was not renewed. So you get one season, folks. Um, but it was, it was weird and uh i mean i've now gone back and read some of the comic books so i i get the sensibility they were trying to bring too um it was so ultra violent and so beautiful in certain ways and um but you know difficult to watch because of the just the the amount of of gore um so uh, you know are there any recent shows that people have watched some of the stuff that's come out during pandemic that really brings to you like this maybe the divide from the you know the 30 year divide from the start of a lot of this or that you say oh man <laughs> i really want to talk about you know x because well it so so there was a show that everyone was telling me oh you have to watch this you're gonna love it and and i looked and the creator of it was from rick and morty and i don't like Rick and Morty. I don't <gasps> like the style. I don't like the, the just, I don't know. It's just the general, I'm kind of tired of Dan Harmon. So it's like, okay. Um, and so I avoided, well, well, no. And I watched the first five minutes of Star Trek Lower Decks mm. and went, oh no, I don't like this. And then stayed away from it for the whole first season. And then last summer, after I had a little hospital stay, I came home and it was like, well, I got a rest and eh, I'll, I'll try it again because everyone keeps telling me I need to watch it. And I got past that first five minutes where the characters <laughs> are acting too stupid to live. And then I go, oh, well, there's a point to them acting too stupid to live. And by the end of the first season, I was like, where's season two? What do you mean I have to wait a couple of weeks? That's good because I didn't get past the first five minutes and everyone's been telling me how much they love it. So now I need to go to the it's, hospital so, and then <laughs> I, so, I would advise skipping that part. But yeah, it's, David, it's David, what you're saying is we were all right and you yes. were very wrong. It's yes. Very in this case, okay, you were all right. What what sensibility does Lower Decks have that that um, that you when you broke through that that you liked? And I mean, other people can jump in since I haven't watched it. But what's the sensibility there that that makes it well, work for you? The, so the creator also had uh, his Twitter feed of TNG season eight, which mm, I did mm. follow. And when yes. I made that connection, I was like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. And, I, and I realized, even though that was a, a funny Twitter feed, uh, he got the idea of Trek stories. They're all pretty plausible as, as next generation <laughs> stories, right? Even though they're, they're sometimes silly. And he really gets Star Trek as much as... Say, well, 
at like like at a deep deep love of Star Trek. Not uh, yes. he's into Star Trek in an ironic way. Not mm. he's into like well Star Trek is this pop culture thing that everyone is familiar with. Not you know I I watch Star Trek but now I'm too cool for it. It's like no the guy who makes that is very very he into Star loves Trek. It. Yes. Yeah, it's and, it's reverent irreverence. Yes. And oh, you know, that's the will best he, type because will, it's people who love something enough to yeah. A little bit, but mm. then it's 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 almost like he's making fun of himself a little bit more oh, than anything because uh-huh. it it goes deep into what about Star Trek is lovely and also what about Star Trek is ridiculous. Um, like yeah. it's it's kind of like you have fan service and then you have this deeper level of this is Uber fan service and then you get further down and you have uh, lower decks, which just <laughs> he like this is in his blood, right? Yes. There, there are jokes in Lower Decks that are just like, this is for someone who's watched Star Trek TNG 10 times and nobody else. <laughs> I mean, there are basic setup things about it that are, hey, you watched all of the animated series. You're one of the 12 of us. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? This is for you. We're going to make the Doctor oh a, a cat alien that was only ever seen on the animated show. <laughs> and in a way where if you don't get it, it it's just it still it doesn't matter. Moves on. It still yeah. works. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as much as I enjoy Discovery, and I do, and as much as I've enjoyed Picard, uh, well, season one I really enjoyed, and season two is also present. Um, but Lower Decks, I gotta say, Lower Decks is the is the new Trek series that really gets wow. Star Trek and does it right okay. until Strange New Worlds came on. I mean, it is probably the best of the shows until Strange New Worlds showed up. I think and if I, and I love if you're a person, all. if you have donated donated if you have uh invested several hundred of your, <laughs> uh, about your hours of your life in star trek already you you need lower decks that this is where that investment pays off yeah. finally uh yeah, yeah. whoever you and, are and there is people. one episode that there, there is one episode in the second season that might be one of the best trek stories ever it's just so beautifully told and and framed and set up oh that said it is not a it is not a it is not a show to watch with uh Children, uh, nope. 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 Unless, nope. children nope. Nope. unless your children are very mature, very. I, I have told, uh, but then they're I, not children, are they? No, I have. I have yeah. literally told my children sometimes. They're like, "Oh, can we watch whatever?" I said, "Yeah, when you're 50." And they're like, "How are you going to enforce that?" I'm like, "I will somehow. I will somehow." I'll keep you on my Netflix account and change the password constantly. <laughs> Glenn, <laughs> Glenn, 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 you actually bring up something interesting that that I, I don't think we've talked about yet. Oh, which yeah. is well, we we alluded to it a little bit about the airtime of Duckman. <laughs> Everything goes back yeah, to Duckman, yeah. apparently. Oh, this is a great point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Back in the day, you had to have access to the television at the time when a thing was on. Oh, my gosh. And these days, it is it is it is a matter of which stream you are bathing in and don't uh, and don't find yourself locked out of thanks to the parental controls. Um, <laughs> parental so, controls. Moises, oh, I Moises. love that sentence. I love that sentence because it implies that in Moises's household, he's at the mercy of someone messing with the parental controls. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. that, that, that's the only way I can control myself. The parental controls um, are how my children control me, actually. <laughs> um, Mine figured out how to circumvent them. So that's, but yeah, that's, I, that's the, a great point though. Yeah. It's cause you're right. You can watch anywhere, anytime. It makes anytime. it tough. It makes it tough as a parent um, because it brings up that whole discussion, you know, I was alluding to that, like adult cartoons, that's where we come up with like Ralph Bakshi and like actual cartoons yeah. that are full of, you know, graphic sex and that used to be ultra violence and graphic sex or, or both. And now it's, uh, so 
but but the sex part was the stuff that you were trying to keep the kids away from. I guess I don't know. It's the, the well, it depends how you thing. feel about violence. Yeah, well, but, I mean, yeah. but you know, just from a society. But, but <laughs> well, the thing, you know, but it brings up the whole I, issue of like, what am I trying to protect my children against? And you know, it's often it's like I don't want my kids to see things that their developing minds are not prepared for, but I don't yep. want them to be naive, and I don't think I can do that entirely. Um, John, you have you have grown children. Uh, maybe you have some insight into this from the from the pre-streaming era a little bit. Sorry, John's on the other side of the wall. He's on the other side of my grown my grown kids watch uh you know anime in in japanese i don't i don't follow it I, you know they're they but they, they they seem very happy with it so you know and, and i don't think i don't think at this point uh, I, i'm going to dictate any of their tastes but, did you have you to know. did you have to put walls in place or tr even try or, or were they you know i was a bad parent i let them watch everything <laughs> You know, from a or very early age, they got, you know, they, I was, I was the, I was the, the you know, the, the permissive parent and they, they, they got, they got tired of my stuff pretty quickly and, and went <laughs> on to their stuff. Sure. There's two types. There's two types of parents, really. Uh, the parents who uh, let their kids watch everything and the parents whose kids have to figure out how to watch everything. Or the, uh, and then you have to figure out as so, a kid, which parent, which house, which house you go uh, to because their parents I let know. them watch everything. And, yeah. I, and I, I, I don't have children, but. Uh, as a as a child growing up in the '90s, uh, who was very interested in, especially what Moises has already kind of introduced the interesting idea of what uh, uh, you know anime brought us. And I remember, you know, you'd go to Blockbuster and they'd have they'd have Ninja Scroll and Akira, and those were the only things you could get. And they'd have stickers on them that said, "This is not for kids," because the assumption yeah. was all animated things for kids. But you know, as a uh, a teen, I was taking the subway downtown and getting uh, bootleg anime from Chinatown and from people out there at MIT <laughs> campus, and I don't know. <laughs> what are, what are you going to do to stop me? Uh, now now you don't even have to get on the subway. They, it comes via the internet. Room. Yeah. Well, and it's so. like I my mother raised me uh, the same way she was raised too. Of you can read any book in this house as long as we discuss it, oh, and so yeah. it was never a problem. That's and and that's how we've been with TV for the most part too. And you know, every now and then it's like you know the the twenty year old came out the other month and was like, have have you seen Invincible? I'm like. Oh my You've God! You've seen Invincible, okay? <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah, it's great. You got to watch it." So I'm at the other end of this because mine is 11, and she's just getting to a point. She it's it's kind of an awkward age because the stuff that's explicitly aimed at kids is 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 getting too young for her. But I'm still where if I watch Big Mouth on Netflix, I delete it so that she doesn't see a pop up in my queue. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> and I find that show to be both great and frustrating because. It really is kind of like it's kind of a pitch perfect note on how confusing and disorienting it can be to be in middle school. But at the same time, some of the jokes are so unbelievably mm. adult and family guyish. I I don't feel comfortable showing it to her in an oh honey this this experience is universal because no not all the experiences. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I'll, put, yeah. I'll put it this way, Lisa. Would you show your kid Night Court? <laughs> Oh, no, question. but that's mostly nope. because I object to that format. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, this we, goes we back have 20 watched, years, but I have a yeah. friend who, uh, his, uh, I think five or six year old, they were watching, uh, um, Oh, uh, King of the Hill together, you know, Simpsons King of the Hill block in the day. And, uh, his wife forbade 
the child from watching that after that because uh, after watching it one night, the kid comes up and says, where's my meal woman and slaps his mother on the ass. And uh, I think my friend had been not necessarily being fully disclosing to his wife that the kid was watching that show with him until that moment. But so, you know, you have that kind of thing, which is, you know, I don't, I don't mean to say that cartoons <laughs> promote antisocial or inappropriate, inappropriate behavior because that'd be playing into the hands of, uh, the Puritans, um, but but the, I the think king, there's... the King of the Hill uh, mentioned uh, behooves me to to uh, say that when people ask where I'm from in Texas, mm. King of the Hill was based on my hometown, <laughs> mm. um, and and the name of the town is a, is a is a melding of Garland, where I'm from, and yeah. Arlington, yeah. and that's how they that's how they came up with Arlen, and uh, oh uh, there were a lot of guys talk like this in my neighborhood. Mm. Oh, oh my god just remember oh the basically that the psychic roots of, of hank hill are, are firmly in the neighbor from beavis and butthead where he'd be yeah. like i was too whacking off in my pool shed and and like just un, un, like the first time i saw king of the hill i was like ah yeah there we go <laughs> lisa you you bring up beavis and butthead and mm -hmm. uh and i i once again, i feel like the 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 assistant commentator on iron chef uh bringing up referential information mm -hmm. uh paramount plus is in in debuting a new Beavis and Butthead movie this month. What? They're oh also Lord. bringing back the entire original run of episodes with all of the music videos restored for the first oh, wow. time. <gasps> the God. music Ever. videos? Oh all my gosh. Them. All of them. The way oh, that they originally aired. Oh, it's when Beavis aired. goes into a fugue state and begins discoursing on grunge. That's like one of the greatest moments in that series. Oh finally, finally, Lisa, culture, culture. Oh <sighs> my gosh. I feel like we're, I'm having like a, a like a, a schism man feeling where i'm like when or uh flying back and forth decades in time like oh beef is butter oh ah, it's a it's actually very star trek feeling right now well uh, and of course i i didn't watch a lot of beavis and butthead but i fell in love with daria the the oh, spinoff yeah, yeah. and yeah watched okay it nerd thoroughly at the time yeah, <laughs> yeah um but then i also fell in love with a a short-lived mtv series with the same designer, yeah. right? If if you see it, it's it's all on YouTube except for one episode. Um, it's a show called Spy Groove, which is about two secret agents, mm -hmm. one who looks like Ben Affleck and one who looks like Matt Damon, but you only ever know them by their numbers. And their boss, Helena Troy, she's mighty, mighty. They do that in like every episode. Like it was a show, I think MTV only ran the first six episodes, but it, it has this really wonderfully weird pop culture, fashion, celebrity focus in the context of these dopey sci-fi, uh, not sci-fi, but secret agent stories. And it has taken forever. I, you know, I thought this show was lost. It came out in like 2000 and ran till 2001 up in Canada. And all but one of the episodes are up on YouTube now as of a couple of months ago. And the one that isn't up there is because it's set in Manhattan and the Twin Towers are a huge oh. visual motif through the whole episode. And it's only the French version of it is up on YouTube. It's really difficult to watch, even though it's like, you know, it's just a cartoon. But that came out like a couple of weeks before 9-11. So coming soon to the network this uh, this summer david lores did you know that it was canceled what do you mean you didn't know that it exists <laughs> <laughs> that's every every absolutely i'm going to pull us back to the future i'm going to i'm going to yank my time chain uh, cuz i want to talk a little bit about um I talk about some series people have seen now it sounded like some folks had seen the legend of vox machina is that right mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
Oh, good. Okay, because I, you know, my uh, my fifteen year old became a big D and D head and had been, uh, you know, watching the the group that uh, group of wonderful people who've raised millions of dollars to do their own work, which is incredible. And uh, so they were very excited about the show. I knew nothing about it, and I thought, well, I've heard great things about these people. Whatever. We turned it on, and I'm like, the first scene has like you know a graphic sex scene, just not quite like sort of soft core pornography level. And I'm like, all right, this is what we're getting into, but they're, they're 15. We'll, you know, 14 going on 15. We'll, uh, we'll work through this. And, and I thought it was, uh, you know, so it's got uh great fantasy elements. It's um, I like creator, you know, creator driven stuff where these people are down in the trenches and they made this thing. There's aspects of the D and D campaigns that the group was doing ha- are built in. So Alex would be like, Oh yeah, that's from that campaign. Oh, I recognize that. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. So they had a little bit of a narrative to hang on it, but I thought it was one of the, I, I enjoyed the animation style and I actually thought it was um, one of the more enjoyable fantasy oriented uh, cartoon series I've seen, and I'm eager for more. I don't know if other people mm-hmm. shared my opinion or I really liked too much. it. Uh, I, I, I love it. I watched oh, good, it okay. along with uh, our, our friend uh, Monty uh, uh, did a, uh, not episode by episode, but chunks of episode by chunks oh, yeah. of episode uh, recap uh, podcast with it. So I would do my thing where I'd watch a chunk and then listen to uh, Monty and Reyes talk about it. Uh, and no, I enjoy it. I mean, as, as some people may know, I'm a little familiar with the game Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Uh, oh, really? And I, and, uh, this is the most Dungeons and Dragons thing there is. The f- serial numbers are filed off for trademark reasons, but this is more <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons than any actual existing licensed Dungeons and Dragons media, <laughs> uh, in terms of actually getting the sensibilities of, you know what people are like when they oh, play D and D. Yeah, there's there's a bit yeah. where they can't get through the door, and Alex <laughs> is telling me they can't get through the door. This is a joke because yeah. so I had I have my concierge, my D and D concierge, mm. as Alex has previously been established in campaigns we've that I've done with you all. Uh, but it was great because Alex is like, oh yeah, you see the joke there, and I'm like, oh now I get it. That's a D and D joke. They can't nothing they do will get them through the door. Oh, Lynn, I will forever cherish like the memory of playing D and D with you and seeing Alex standing over your shoulder <laughs> intently watching every one of your moves and like whispering <laughs> to. Consult judging, with you, judging yeah. all of us, and like oh. whispering to consult. It was like having a consigliere, like he was some <laughs> sort of D and D mafia dog. Just was, taking yes. taking the dice out of your hand. No, mm-hmm. Dad, that's not no. Yeah. That's that not how you roll. Absolutely, it was so yeah. great. It was, was wonderful, was like, and it was so. Imagine that with Vox Legend of Vox Machina. Yes, Tom Tom Hayden lives. I think yes. those episodes will air in 2025. Tony, I'm not sure mm-hmm. when they. Oh, sorry. I believe they've actually they've all aired. You can find those on the Incomparable <laughs> Network, folks. But so, Legend of Vox Machina had a you know had a really uh, you know grown up even adult sensibility mm-hmm. and to the extent that I was like, is this a show I should watch with my teenager? And the answer is yes because it was a great bonding experience. We both liked it a lot. We were we were um, Amazon was releasing them. Uh, episode like one or two a week or something or they did two and then so we had to actually wait for it and we would be yeah. like is it out yet and alex would be like it's wednesday at five why haven't they posted the episode and that was kind of exciting too to have something uh something like that something that um we mention on occasion is that uh kids who predominantly understand televised programming through the streaming lens mm just don't understand some of the deserts that we went through where, you know, we show them like show, show them something like flash Gordon from 1980. And, and they go, why does this exist? Who allowed this to happen in, in what world? And, and the, and the answer is you got to understand we were lucky that we got that because you've never seen Hawk the Slayer battle beyond the stars. Um, it, It could have been a lot worse. Uh, and, and for me, Vox Machina is this incredible progression of 
those uh, those nerds who the only D and D content that they had in the media was the animated show from the eighties. Um, now have this thing that has oh, that has grown wow. up with them that allows them to you know watch something in animation uh, that that is I guess at our grade level now, um, and I, I think that spiritually there, there's there's something really beautiful about that 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 we've gotten to the point where animation focused on adults is such a thing that it's like oh yeah uh, guess what the people who are making all the decisions in those front offices were watching the crummy cartoons in the 1980s like Conan the Adventurer and whatever. And, and now they're the ones calling the shots um, when, when it comes to what is getting made. Hey, Lisa, I want to I want to point to you because I know um, I think you may have been the person to turn me out of the She-Ra series, which I also watched with Alex and I've watched it twice. I loved it. And then we have Masters of the Universe Revelation. I know that you have an interest in that era and those shows. And uh, how, how do those fit into this rubric? Are they are they grown up? I mean, there was a lot of a lot of winks and nods to adults. I felt particularly in the in the Revelation series. So I didn't watch the Revelation series, oh, and, oh, I, and I can't I, speak to that. Um, I, highly <laughs> I highly recommend it. I think you'll like I, it. I can speak to She-Ra. I don't feel like it's an adult series mm -hmm. because I <laughs> – and the reason I say that is because very nearly every hyper-conscientious parent I know was perfectly fine with their elementary school-aged daughter watching it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because even if we have these rubrics like, well, it depends on the narrative complexity, or, well, is it made for children or whatever mine? Like, I, I think one of the, the the litmus tests for is something made for adults or made for kids is how much do parents react or overreact when they find their children watching it? Oh. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I, I do think that She-Ra is actually one of those rare tween slash middle grade type. It's it's going for an audience that is itself beginning to grapple with, you know, the fact that sometimes your friends can be crappy to you or sometimes you and your friend don't have things in common anymore. Or and sometimes, sometimes you have a crush on your friend. Exactly. Yeah. Or and, and you don't know who you are or your parents are or, or this is the first time in your life you're discovering that my parents are full of crap. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so it is in many ways a, a real coming of age show. And I don't think it was made for grownups. I think it was made for people who are coming of age as adults. And that is really not tied to chronology. That's tied to like emotions and intellectual development and sexuality and social development, and all that. So um, I think it's like that really weird, uh, perhaps even scantier than a Adult, well, actually, adult animation stick on the ground, but it's a really weird, really liminal category, which is this is a show that's made for people who aren't quite kids and aren't quite adults. Mm. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I think the I, I think the He Man show is a is a more or the Masters of the Universe show has a stronger delineation. I mean, made by Kevin Smith also, but but it has it's not that it's more adult, but I think it crosses. I think it's on the other side of that line where Shira, there's difficult moral choices and ambiguity and people who are bad get to become good. And some people you think are good or not as good as you thought. And in Revelation, <clears throat> excuse me, in Revelation, I think there's a lot more um, shading. There's like some body hoarders, horror, horror stuff. There's constant betrayal. There's a lot of, you know, oh, my parents are full of crap in the end because they can't cope with this kind of thing. Um, but I felt like it was, it, it dealt with like bigger like moral and existential issues, but in a, in a perfectly lovely and ridiculous comics content that are ca cartoon context that refer to itself. But I think that's, I think there's a continuum between the two. And I would 
recommend you watch it too because you probably like possibly it. The, the most adult thing about it having to withstand Henry Rollins' voice acting I love what I love what Lisa um, uh, pointed out about the the middle the middle reader uh, um, uh, place that She-Ra falls into I know loads of adults like myself who loved it as well and it's it, it is it is within that beautiful intermediary space that it is it has more advanced things for more advanced humans um, when they can wrap their heads around it, but it doesn't prevent an 11 year old, for example, from enjoying it. Masters of the Universe Revelation is explicitly made for those of us um, either who still have or whose parents still have giant plastic tubs <laughs> of He-Man toys from the 1980s, yeah. um, complete with battle damage and, you know, the, the the ones that you could get at the store because Skeletor was all sold out. Um <laughs> And Kevin Smith show running it from an explicitly we are going to continue and conclude uh, the story that was that was started um, and never really finished. Yeah, that that is its own genre of stuff where it's okay. now, 20 years later, we're going to do this or 30 years later, in some cases, um, we're we're going to, you know, complete the the version of things that you didn't know, which I, I, I kind of it kind of makes me want to jump to something that we haven't addressed that also ties to another thing that we talked about. We talked about liquid television and it was kind of a proving ground. And, you know, that's where you saw Eon Flux. And it was it, it was it was a sort of um, uh, like a film festival shorts program of of all kinds of different stuff. And that model is something that Adult Swim Basically, loads of shows that are now considered, you know, their classics like Squidbillies or, or things were, were micro shorts yeah. in between their existing 12 minute shows. Um, and, and those shows, I, you know, I, I include with them, even though it wasn't explicitly an adult swim show, um, the Venture Brothers, which was like an, a, a definitely, <laughs> definitely leaning toward adult thing that was sort of kind of a riff on Johnny Quest, but then was also a riff on a dozen other things um, over the course of its run. Uh, There was a lot of that sensibility built into it where the people on William Street got to just play around occasionally with existing Turner Network properties, like in the case of Harvey Birdman, uh, Attorney at Law, (gasps) one of the great animated shows of all time. C-Lab. We got to talk about uh, you know, you, you you look at it as what they did with spare parts. Other people would never use, and and it's I I think it's a wonderful look at a corporate parent having a bunch of stuff that they have literally no use for or don't even know that they have. That they had these you know twenty eight year olds going, hey, can we use blah blah blah? Yeah, sure, whatever. Drive it around the block, crash it into a tree. We don't care. The metaphorical plastic tub full of characters. Yeah. Uh, no, there's a clear dotted line from MTV in the 90s to Adult Swim in the 2000s. Uh, probably in in part from MTV doing more reality television and things like that. I'm not sure, and maybe it's because I'm old, uh, what is the Adult Swim of today? And, and maybe it's like it's on some part of the web that, I, that they don't let olds into. It's uh, still kind of Adult Swim? I don't. I guess uh, well, I'm skeptical. Well, it's, it, is it? Well, it's. Sometimes, sometimes you, you open up HBO max and Mm -hmm. it is promoting to you the new bird girl show starring Uh, Paget Brewster that directly continues the Harvey Birdman stuff, but centering on bird girl. 
Well, and the thing, the thing that was amazing about the beginning of Adult Swim was how cheaply everything was made because they could, they, you know, who's going to mess around with Space Ghost or Sea Lab? You know, those shows aren't going anywhere. There's no one clamoring for them. And Sea Lab, at least in the very beginning, was literally just re-edited footage from the actual show yes and and maybe i'm just asking kids to get off my lawn but it it felt it felt like there was a experimental nature to this of we will put anything on the tv and see what hits that i don't think they have any more today and i'm not sure where that is that you know that basically their 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 popularity means that they can't do that anymore well i wonder if youtube is where it's going because you'll, you'll have you'll have folks on youtube who do it I mean, animation, animation, it, it was mentioned earlier, uh, you know, maybe during the pandemic, it was it was just cheaper. Uh, animation isn't cheaper to do. But during the pandemic, it was the only thing that could keep going uh, because instead of recording people at a studio, you just have them record at home. Yeah. And unlike all the live action stuff that completely hit a work stoppage, you know, uh, animation found a way. Um, in the case of Adult Swim, at a certain point, even even the cheapest version of stuff, which was, <laughs> hey, just re-edit stuff, yeah. even that even that became, I, I guess, you know, uh, uh, Turner came back to them and said, could you do anything cheaper and have it look crappier? <laughs> yes. Because that's really what we want. And so, um, I, I, you know, no offense intended, but then, uh, you know, one of my college pals, Henry Zabrowski, is the, is the lead on Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, which is... People, you know, wearing like party city grade makeup and costumes doing live action stuff in short form. And and a lot of it, a lot of Adult Swim for a certain for a certain time became less about animation and more about how cheap can we do funny stuff for adults. Yeah. And and like recently, FX had the the anthology show Cake, I think it was. Mm that was Which, uh, John Hodgman's shortest on that. Well, and, I was uh, just going to say they spun off John Hodgman's Dicktown. Dicktown Dicktown is the name of the show. It's not it's not something that gets us an explicit tag. We're being accurate by saying Dicktown about a show name. called Dicktown. It's Richardville, right? Richardville. Dicktown, right. Yes. Richardville. And and it's a wonderful show with with a lot of heart. Surprisingly, a lot. Well, of I'll heart. debate you on that, but that's right. I thought <laughs> <laughs> from from Duckman to Dicktown. Uh, I want to I want to call in uh, call out the John McCoy <laughs> set up the John McCoy uh, uh, flare gun though because uh, John, what have you been watching lately uh, well, in this genre? Because I want to make sure you know we're I, getting different I, I mentioned before that I I really don't like how self you know how how similar these things ha- have become to one another and uh and even you know vox machina i i don't know not vox, was that the, yeah it's yeah legend, legend of vox machina yeah i know I legend of vox machina, machina i watched wrong. that and it was okay for me but it felt to me like the animation style was very like the, the the same kind of style that had been brought down from the from the 90s superhero cartoons to the present day via you know there's there's a kind of a, a family guy style and there's this kind of superhero style mm-hmm. so the things that i've been watching have been the the, the 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 strangest things i can i can find uh you know i i loved uh the midnight gospel i thought that oh. was an amazing show and and it did something completely different uh, and, and, and it, its goals were different. Its methodology was different. It was, uh, I thought, a, a great show. Um, and, and, you know, I, I always feel like Netflix gets their hands on, on something interesting and then they, they, they drop it right away. Uh, I loved 
Tuca and Birdie. I actually think Tuca yeah. and Birdie is closer to Lisa Hanawalt's uh, strange imagination than uh, Bojack Horseman was. She was just the art director for that. But this is kind of her channeling her inner animal creatures. And I thought that was an amazing show, an amazing uh, show centered on female friendship and a, and a particularly female view of the world. Uh, and of course, that meant Netflix canceled it after a season. It's been picked up by uh, Adult Swim, but I, I feel like in the interim, they must have lost some of their budget because the, 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 the newer shows seem to be not as animated as the old ones. Um, but the the one th the one show that I I do want to give a shout out for for is, um, you know, Netflix has this, you know, I I I actually rue the fact that Netflix has gotten uh, all this bad press and lost all this stuff because one of the fun things about Netflix was it started to just like try everything and mm. and they brought in so many international shows that you would never see uh, there there's been this whole wave of international shows and and there is uh, an Italian. A cartoon called "Tear Along the Dotted Line" that is done that is based oh. on the uh, on the cartoons of a uh, of a Italian cartoonist named Zero Calcare, and I I I think everyone should watch this. It's a very short series, and everyone should actually watch it in Italian with the subtitles because the humor is very Italian, and um and and again it's it's I I don't think we're going to see. Uh, another one of these from Netflix anytime soon. Oh, that's interesting. Hey, tell me a little more. Atuka and Birdie. I mean, I, th I think that's a show that got a lot of attention. And um, I, I could never quite. Uh, this is a confessions episode, right? Where we talk about um, uh, David revealing he's tired of Dan Harmon and uh, at this point and so forth. I try to watch Bojack Horseman. I watched a bunch of episodes and I eventually found it to be a. Um, this kind of hit me at points with Futurama, though I love the show, is there's a point at which there's no morality in a thing and people feel to be like they're being rewarded for being moral voids. And I kind of, sometimes I want to see that, but uh, I never watched Breaking Where did Bad you leave either. off with BoJack yeah. Horseman? Oh, there probably a, too soon, a, right? Is there a yeah, long Yeah, there's arc? an arc to that. That does not, yeah. That, that is not the, the message of that show. <laughs> Un unfortunately, unfortunately, BoJack Horseman leads with like the six weakest episodes of the series. No, I watched a couple of years it, of it, I felt like, but But it, it gets it gets better and better as it goes along. The last season of Boy Bojack is amazing. Definitely not for children. Never, ever, ever yeah. for children. It's another one <laughs> I also delete from my Netflix queue <laughs> so that my daughter doesn't see that I'm watching it. Um but I will say the back half of the final season is absolutely worth everything that all the time and attention you put into the rest of it. Um I hate bandwagoning with all the other critical types like, oh, Bojack Horseman, like hearts in the eyes and all that. But like the final few episodes, especially the second to last one is just, oh, my God, loved it. I mean, when, when they're right, they're right. I, I want to bring, uh, sorry, I want to circle back very briefly, though. So Tuca and Birdie, in contrast to my initial rep, rep, uh, impression of Bojack Horseman or after, you know, like I say a couple seasons of it, uh, I felt like it had a lot of heart, but it was John, as you say, it represented her maybe initial intent um, of the artist a little more because it's sort of surreal and everything is alive. Everything is alive. And it reminded me in some ways of the of uh, was it raw? The Art Spiegelman, Francois uh, Moly, uh, Francois Moly uh, uh, publication where 
that was hugely influential on me as kind of a late teen, early twenties person reading alternative comics all stuck together. Cause I didn't, I hadn't found those in other ways. I hadn't gone to the alternative comics shops and events or whatever existed at the time. And I felt Tuca and Birdie had kind of um, that, but so did. And this is my weird transition is centaur world, which was also about everything being sort of animated. Everything was alive just about like trees and weird things. There's a tree running around complaining about its jean jacket, the entire two seasons of <laughs> it's so strange, but its sensibility is almost like the plant woman in the same apartment building as uh, I don't know if it's Tuca or Birdie. I can't remember. It has that same, like you feel slightly unhinged watching it and centaur world. Lisa, correct me if I was wrong. I'm wrong. Is that, was that made for children? It was made for children. I can't it tell. was made for children, but it works for adults. Mm. Um, and, and again, this is another one where all of the kids of the people who I know are extremely conscientious parents were the mm. ones who were singing comfortable Doug on the playground. Oh my God. I really hated comfortable Doug's character. There was some character design in it that made me physically ill in centaur world and other parts. I'm like, this is the most delightful thing. It's the most extraordinarily produced weird. It's the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. I think just about besides Duke and Birdie. Like do you, like, you we, I know we've been bagging a little bit on Ralph Bashkey, but um I have a feeling the aesthetic behind Centaur World is going to be to this generation yeah. what like Ralph Bashke wow. was to us okay. growing up, where when okay. we're adults, we'll still have like a really visceral reaction to some of the stuff that we've seen. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Centaur World, and I don't, were we, were we chatting about this before we started recording where like you mentioned that Centaur World is basically body horror and I'm like, with a Broadway oh, soundtrack. Yeah. And, and that's mm. exactly what that's it is. It. That was before recording. Yeah. Body horror with a, with a Broadway soundtrack is uh, probably not our episode title, but it is, but it's, it's amazing to me that they were allowed to experiment with it because it's, it's so weird and it's got this great little, it's got a really beautiful arc, the two seasons, like really an amazing bit of storytelling, but it's also like, feels like, you know, sub Teletubbies humor at times, like really. And then some stuff is incredibly sophisticated, particularly in the the music and the songs and beautiful singing voices, of course. Um, and at the end, you're like, I, you know, I got to the end of it, season two, and I'm like, oh, I'm strangely very satisfied with how they did all this. And I think you, I don't know if we want to talk about it because it's, it's too much of a spoiler. Go watch Central World. But there's some, something that happens in the last episode, Lisa, I think you may have mentioned on uh, in our internal Slack, but it's like, it is so shocking to see that moment and to hear the words come out of this person's mouth where I was like, okay, well, I don't know what this show was then because of that last, almost last shocking event that happens in it. You know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Oh, so my good. God. Good, yeah. good and it's just a murderous row of Broadway show show people, especially Megan Hilty, Leah Salonga, Kimiko Glenn. Yeah. Um, they get, oh, who is it? Um, she was Angelica in Hamilton. I'm blanking on her name. Uh, um, Renee Elise Goldsberry. Yes, Renee Elise Goldsberry like, brings it home in her solo as a giant hippopotamus. Um, <laughs> Brian Stokes Mitchell is the Nowhere King. Uh, again, there were no stars left on the Great White Way because they were all in a recording booth singing. Um, <laughs> I hope they, some of it during pandemic, so they got paid while they couldn't perform. Um, oh, all right, so, so good. So I feel like there's a, it's not exactly a uh, an elephant in the room or a giant centaur hippo, um, but there's a show I've really, actually what prompted me wanting to do this episode was I got an HBO subscription, HBO Max, and I watched all of Harley Quinn over a period of, I don't know, a couple of weeks <laughs> and was, and was so, and then, but that felt like I was like, 
that is a show, right? We'll talk about that. But it's also, it felt like it was such, I just watched, I think, Invincible before it. I watched Hitmonkey after it. And I was like, oh my God, I know we're in a pandemic. But these shows were shot before it. And it felt like, not nihilism. I mean, I, I'm going to say, uh, and I don't know, this is going to tell people whether uh, like a lot about me. I thought Harley Quinn was one of the best animated series I've ever seen. And I don't know, maybe I'm giving away too much about myself that I thought that. <laughs> what, do, what do people think who've seen it? I, I, I had a... Um... Uh, a uh, Glenn's reaction to Bojack feeling about Harley Quinn. Oh yeah. Starting it while a bit sleepy one night and I got a few minutes into it and I went, okay, I get it. It's a Harley Quinn show where they get to say this word and that word and this other thing and they get to be hyperviolent. Fine, whatever. I get it. Put it away and then picked it back up after various people were just shouting and screaming its praises and 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 found myself completely won over by actually finishing the first episode. Um, it, it's it's something that I guess to touch on things that we've said earlier, it's something that as as a kid, as as somebody who was a kid when Batman, the animated series came out, which was itself a good deal more adult than the other stuff that was out there. Um, it was it was an interesting look at various tropes and so on through a much more modern progressive lens than than those characters were treated with back when Harley Quinn was created for that show um, where she was she was she was a, a clown gun mall, basically. And I, I always loved her in that original incarnation, too, as I just oh, thought she yeah. would act, the voice acting, the characterization. And this, I think, builds on some of the stuff in the recent comics where. Uh, Harley mm-hmm. is done with the Joker and has uh, a, an evolving relationship with Poison Ivy uh, <laughs> and also does the enjoyable thing of bringing in a variety of C-list DC villains yeah. and doing interesting takes with them. Uh, I speak Kite of Man. Kite Man. Hell yeah. yeah. Kite Man, uh, who Kite Man, I think I you'd have to be a relatively substantial Batman fan to be familiar with the works of Kite Man, uh, but also reinterpretations <laughs> of some of your even more popular Condiment villains. Man. Is Condiment Man in the Harley Quinn series? Uh, 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 I'm sorry, Condiment King. King. Excuse me. I mean, I put some respect on his lordship's name. I should mention Tony Sindelar has a degree in Batmanology as a PhD in that movie. From an unaccredited institution. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Clayface, University. Uh, a version of King Shark I very much enjoy. There's yes. a very different than the Suicide Squad version of King yeah, Shark. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, th- I think the best moment I got to say, and this is my highlight for the entire series, was the bit where Doctor Psycho says the c word is an incredible thing because I love the notion that like these people are evil; they can do everything. They can, you know, and you're like the League of uh, for, and this is my they must be giants. But what was it called the uh, the evil league that Lex the Legion of up? Doom? Legion of Doom. I should remember that from my childhood. Legion of Doom. They put out a statement against Doctor Psycho because he used the c word, and then they kind of keep the joke going where you know nobody. Finds that admirable, and he turn you know he turns out to be even less admirable than a supervillain uh, should be. But everyone's really appalled with him. And I was like, this is delightful. Like there are limits <laughs> to evil, and we've decided what they are. I think the first couple episodes lean a, he- a little heavily on incredibly graphic violence yes. and isn't yeah. swearing inherently funny. Uh, <laughs> perhaps like in a way that like maybe they th- th- and like yeah. and I mean I think that that works for a lot of people. I don't yeah. think that necessarily works for me, but I think that though that is just bringing people in the door. Uh, for a show that actually has a, a surprising amount of heart, uh, for a show that also has people being decapitated and whatnot. 
I, when I started watching it, I did not know there'd be any swearing in it. I didn't understand that it was like, you know, a, 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 what do you call it? Like not X, but whatever rated. And I was like, the first time someone swore, I was like, wait, what? I'm like, oh, okay. It's that kind of, it's that kind of deal. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not only do you get to hear Alan Tudyk as the Joker, you get to hear Alan Tudyk as the Joker cursing. Um, oh, I and, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's a wonderful show that I'm glad it, it, it originally launched as a DC universe streaming service yes. exclusive. And thankfully that got absorbed into HBO max and HBO max just kept around stuff like this and doom patrol that were really good. Right. Um, and, and this, this show also marked, uh, the, uh, the, um, the, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, um, playing his his second iconic DC villain in animation, <laughs> he's now played both Rachel Ghoul and Lex Luthor, and uh, and eventually I, I'm sure that he'll uh, he'll play Darkseid or and like every other villain in DC. Uh, I, I have a I want to do a little transition here because we'll we'll move towards the I know we could talk for five hours about this, but let's uh, my my transition before we do kind of a more bring out your dead uh, approach to this. Make sure we talk about everything that folks had brought to the table that like to talk about was it's the uh, who was the audience for this that I hinted at it earlier. I have a list of shows on this. I'll read some of them out and uh, and maybe we could talk about that is I feel like some shows are confused about whether they're for adults or children or all ages or or maybe they don't even know. And so my list includes Disenchanted, What If, which might be an unpopular or strange choice to put in there, Dicktown, Saturday Morning All-Star Hits, which is a mix of cartoons and live action, Centaur World Q Force and Bird Girl, and I, so those are the ones I kind of was like I've watched in s- some entire seasons of or all of. In other cases, I watched a few episodes and would skip ahead and watch some, and I just didn't get what sensibility they're going for. So th- I don't know if anyone objects to entries in that list, wants to debate me, or um, has their own kind of who did they make this for? Did they understand it? I mean, I like I, I mentioned Dicktown before, and it. It kind of took me by surprise because, again, you know, the first one or two, I was like, well, okay. And, you know, it's a little more scatological than I normally go for. And then it started to work on me. And by the end of the first series of it, I was like, all right, I would I would watch that if it came back. And the second season is is a step up. They they really start giving the characters depth. Um and heart it's it's kind of surprising for such a delightfully vulgar show and i i love the fact that in every exterior shot no matter where they are in dicktown no matter where they're looking around you always see a church steeple (laughs) and and the joke is that there are like fifty thousand churches in this town um it's just it's just one of those little tiny visual touches. Did anybody else even see Saturday Morning All Star Hits? I, I feel like it was. A, I'm I'm aware of it, but I haven't seen it. It's uh it's an amazing piece of creeping horror, uh, told both in cartoon and live action form. In some level ways, it's a little bit like um not a, well Adventure Time a bit, but much more so um, uh, Steven Universe where things start out and you're kind of like la di da di da and then you're like oh no oh oh no but over six episodes but um but i'm not sure who saturday morning all-star hits was for either i think it was for adults probably i think i guess it was for people who remember the 80s really well i guess yeah i think uh, there's there's a certain uh you know 
I, I sometimes it lands, sometimes it doesn't. I think there's a certain uh, set of animation that is made by people, and they tend to be, you know, young people, maybe not too far out of college, only for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and they oh, and totally. then they somehow totally. and they somehow then get it on TV or streaming and that's fine and those people find it. I mean, I think there's a whole section of Adult Swim that's like, can anyone over 24 really appreciate this um or younger than 19? <laughs> You're you know? not wrong. And uh-huh. you know, I mean, is this is this made by people on drugs or made for people on drugs and it's, you know, the, the it works. There's a market. <laughs> oh, I forget about that. I mean, I I love doing the the uh, will you get this reference if i slip this into a thing will you get it and even if one person writes in and goes oh my god you used to watch the skatebirds <laughs> on cbs saturday mornings in 1977 I'm like yes yes i did oh my god it's like all right someone uh, else the, got it uh, the the thing that immediately leapt out as tony was describing that phenomenon was a show called moonbeam city oh. that was on comedy central i don't know half a decade ago that i discovered on i don't remember which streaming service that has you know elizabeth banks and rob Lowe and will forte and kate mara and a bunch of well-known people on it that seems like it was explicitly made by somebody for their sensibility and of course nobody watched it i want to um before we finish out here i want to uh bring up just uh disenchanted for a moment because i think disenchanted got a lot of attention as you know matt greening's next show netflix was backing it it's had uh, it had a four season run and um i think yeah fourth season is at, i think it's four <clears throat> excuse me and i the i watched it through the first i mean it's funny because i couldn't i think each season has and a lot of even like episode episode has a different sensibility where you're like, Oh, I could see a child watching that. And then you're like, Oh my God, I would never want a developing mind to see that because I think <laughs> it's too hard for them to put into any kind of worldview they might have yet. Like you need to live a life before seeing that, that episode. <laughs> and, you know, and again, it's, uh, I mean, we could talk even more generally about like the adventure time, uh, adventure time, uh, Steven universe and disenchanted to lesser extent all have that kind of, uh, we start with one thing and then the world keeps getting bigger and bigger and you see how complicated things get, but disenchanted, it felt like, um, I don't know. I don't feel like they ever got their feet and I'm not sure what it was supposed to be, but it got, I felt like a lot of attention because it was Graining's project. I don't know. Sure. If anybody else, uh, saw it, I think a couple of people might've well, mentioned it. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing, the thing that, uh, I feel like it's difficult to talk about Disenchanted without bringing up Futurama um, yes. because there, there's a similar, hey, we're going to start with a big high concept thing and a trigger warning for uh, notions of self-harm. But in the first episode of Futurama, they they introduce a thing um, in in a primetime show oh that you know allegedly kids can watch. You know, there, there's a, our, our two our two main characters meet each other in line for a suicide booth. Um, Holy cow. And for kids, for kids, for <laughs> yeah. kids. Right. Um, and and th- there there was more edginess or at least playing on the edge that uh, Greening Co., uh, as, as I, I think of that collective of folks, did on Futurama that I think when Disenchanted was was announced, the great hope was that, oh, this is going to be in this particular setting with this, you know, collection of characters, um, similar to the heights that Futurama once got to. And I think those expectations, 
um, didn't end up helping the show, mm. which from friends I know who have watched all four seasons of it, they enjoy it and they think it's fine. I just haven't had me. I haven't made time for it because I tried the first episode and my I think my expectations were wildly out of whack with what they were trying to do. And, you know, some of that might be Netflix's marketing marketing department's fault for promoting it as the next great animated series that will run for 30 years. It's fine. It's probably if you want to, it's hard to not compare it to Futurama because of who makes it and even the kind of visual style of it uh, and which kind of sets it up, sets you up for disappointment because it's, it's not Futurama. Uh, it's fine. The, the, you know, the, there's the similar kind of comedy stylings. It, the characters are not as uh, lovable. Uh, I mean, I think by intentional choice, which just doesn't land quite as well. They also seem a little bit more into like their own world building and the idea that that would be interesting than I think, at least for me, it is received by. Um, so, you know, it's fine. It's not, you know, I was fine. bored by it. Yeah. Yeah. I was especially bored. later seasons. I, I, mean, I was bored because it, I don't think they seasons? did. Probably not. Yeah. I don't think they did anything particularly interesting or innovative with the storytelling. The cliche of a princess who's unprincessy has been done to death at this point, yeah, I think um, they thought they were cutting edge and cool, and it's like mm, you maybe you know it's have like it it it, it yeah. read very much like oh your grandma who reads Good Housekeeping is under the impression this is subversive, um, and it felt really formulaic. And we live in an era where there's just infinite numbers of formulas and infinite numbers of animated type shows. And if I want to watch a Futurama like show, I'll watch Futurama. If I want to watch, <laughs> whoa, this does, available. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, this didn't add anything new or interesting. Um, it didn't seem to be made in a way where that indicated anybody involved was taken with the idea of trying to either say something insightful or new or funny or particularly original there was no attempt to like push any sort of boundaries or even define them and then say oh we're up against some boink 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 um it was just it it, it had the feel of something somebody pulled out of a drawer yeah and mm -hmm. I, I mean that's apologies wild. apologies for the ageism but it just it kind of feels like did anyone under 50 work on this? Right? Uh, the answer like, is, oh my no, God, no, I don't think no, so. it's all the original. No, like I said, your grandma who worked on Good Housekeeping got like some sort of Grey Panther internship. And in I'm not saying episode. people over 50 can't make cool transgressive things. I just figure maybe <laughs> they already made those things. And this was like uh -huh. the, ne the next thing at the bottom yeah. of the pile. That they how, how many, how many people in the writer's room were women? Yeah. Um, uh, same, I think, same kind of question. Yeah, I'd have mind. to have a question. I say there's one great episode of the show. I, I mean, I'll call this one out. There are others that were, you know, it, it, I think season, one i i got to episode five and gave up and then i was like i was bored it was pandemic i started watching it again i was like oh this is a little better than i thought went back and watched the whole first season i was like oh actually this is a little better and then season two was actually much more even and then it just kind of i felt like it lost you know it was exactly that i kept walking away from it not excited to watch the next thing but but i will say great one episode nice for it wait wait one let me get one here's All the right. great episode the All bear right. selkie episode was amazing the king king zog falls in love with a woman who he sees take off a bear uh, uh fur and he takes her bear fur right like a sulky and he wants to marry her and she comes in the castle and she's very unhappy and eventually she kind of says i'm not a woman with a who puts on a bear fur i am a bear who takes it off 
sometimes and as a woman. And it was actually a very sweet and poignant episode that I thought was really clever. And I was like, oh, a bear sulky. I've never thought about that. I mean, I know there's lots of like Skinwalker and other kinds of uh, mythos and cultures around the world, but I, I it was a self-contained episode that was actually sort of lovely. Well, here's the, the Netflix self-competition conundrum is they financed all of this great content and it's all it's wonderful that loads and loads of animation has has uh, come out of the very deep pockets that apparently netflix is not planning on opening up as much uh for uh bigger high profile stuff but hopefully will still stay open uh to some extent for animation even if it ends up getting canceled and has to move to adult swim whatever as long as it gets out in the world when you find yourself on Netflix disenchanted by disenchanted, yeah. you can very easily <laughs> hop over to Legend of Vox Machina. If you want, if you want something that's explicitly adult leaning, you can watch Arcane if you want to be cool to the 13 year olds in your life. And um, I do. And one of the things that that uh, would not have existed without that uh, Netflix budget and interest in playing in different uh, in different worlds is uh, is the animated Castlevania, which had had originally I think it was 15 years ago. They tried to get that off the ground. It died. The same producer still had it at some point was in a room with Netflix and they said, what do you have? And he said, oh, well, I've got an animated Castlevania based on the third Castlevania game. Um, and then the the 42 year old men making decisions went, you have a what? Um, <laughs> and you want to make it super violent and you want to, you know, put put all kinds of adult language in it. Great. Sounds good. Um, and I, I want to tie this back to, again, like the people who are making the decisions um, are following the lead of the audiences and where they're going. And uh, I mentioned Batman the Animated Series earlier. There was this weird inflection point there in the early 90s where with Batman the Animated Series, um, which begat Justice League and Superman the Animated Series, um, there was there was a superhero cartoons aren't necessarily just for kids sort of thing mm. that um, jumping to the other side of the big two comic book coin, the X-Men Animated Series premiered in prime time. And they really hadn't done something like that before. And I've got to think that some of the Nielsen data that came out of that back when Nielsen data really did rule all is something that that in some way created a little bit of runway for Western animation to look at, you know what, we can make stuff that plays in the middle ground area, but we can also make stuff that focuses on an explicitly older audience, which Batman the Animated Series I'd argue kids can still watch it, and it um, it was something that that aired right after school, and that's part of what made it so popular. Um, but that it played with an explicitly darker tone across the board is something that I I feel like, if anything, uh, people people rant and rave about comic book movies these days ruining cinema. Um, if if you want to blame something for the rise in adult animation that thinks that fart jokes are just the 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 uh, the, the height of comedy, um, I think in in a lot of ways those mid nineties superhero cartoons that went that took their their source material more seriously are what led to the stuff that in some cases, uh, as we've as we've been saying, takes the material more seriously and in some ways 
uh, is just, uh, you know, a, a reason that, um, that this or that is getting revived as an adult leaning thing. Um, like that, that, that wasn't a thing, uh, because in, in, in a lot of ways in the eighties and nineties, that stuff was being born. And now that stuff is middle-aged and looking for another job. (laughs) All right. Before we run the credits at a speed so fast that even freeze framing it on our VCR won't let us read the names of the animators and voice actors. We've reached that point in the show where it's not exactly bring out your dead because this is not a draft, but I'd like to make sure let's do a little go around here, starting with, we're going to start with John McCoy about shows that you wanted to mention in this episode, haven't come up in uh, organically so far. Let's just talk about a few things. We can do a little bit, a few rounds of this if folks like, Mm -hmm. Uh, what's something. I'm surprised uh, that Love, Death and Rockets, uh, what was it? Love, Death and Robots. Yes. It it didn't didn't, uh, come up in the conversation. That seemed like this crowd. That's a very I, I I have to say one thing I like about that show is that they try they do a different style for every single uh thing so and everything is you know the because everything's going to get thrown out at the end they they just you know go all out with it um it, overall the series is a little too dour to me it reminds me of like reading heavy metal in the the (laughs) mid 70s where every 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 uh, you know story was three pages long and then the guy died at the end because the (laughs) the cartoonist got bored i get the feeling that like everyone has to die at the end of one of these things because the people working it get bored yeah i I think i think you reverse engineered their pitch hey you want an animated show that's like reading heavy metal in the 70s (laughs) (laughs) for folks unfamiliar with it it's specifically an anthology Mm. series and it, it is kind of enjoyable as a streaming thing where episodes are between like nine and 20 minutes uh and there is very little any kind of connective tissue except that each thing is about love death and or robots right. um, uh so. Dave, david do you have some dead a dead you'd like to bring out uh, speaking of death you know not really i'm, you, I'm trying to think uh it, certainly there's you know. a 19 certainly there's a show that came out in 1982 that ran for half an episode <laughs> and it was pulled while it was being aired they ripped the corner of the wall and you're the only one to see it in 1964 james garner wanted to Ma- maverick in well space. the maverick animated in maverick was amazing once By we talked way. about fish police, you know, David leaves it all in the closet. Yes. <laughs> you, you brought that out. You brought your dad up yeah. pretty early. Uh, D- D- yeah, David's, I mean, David's already mentioned about six things that I questioned whether they really existed. <laughs> oh, although we had the moment, we were trying to find something on Netflix last night, and we really had the moment where we're pushing right, and we're like, they are making these shows up. These are being generated while we're doing right, because this is in, we're just laughing and laughing. So I'm not surprised I haven't seen a new fish police. So I mean, there. the... The only things I can think of are things that, you know, they, they could be all ages. Um, I mean, Bob's Burgers. I love Bob's Burgers. That's a classic, it's, right? Because it has a just, sensibility, but you could. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's just got this daffy sensibility all its own. It's it's kind of uh, slant wise from Dr. Katz, professional therapist. I like that Which show. was aimed at adults. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, right in line. It's the same people did that. The same people did home movies. On UPN. Ah, you took mine. Bring out your dad. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, And then then another show, you know, we've we've brought up Adventure Time and Steven Universe, and and this is another Cartoon Network show that I'm not entirely sure who it was aimed at, but new episodes premiered at night. Uh, It's it's regular show, which again has its own weird sensibility. If you get on its wavelength, it's delightful. It's... It's kind of stonery at times, but mm. you know, 
it's fun. And it's from uh, people who did Chowder, which which was aimed at kids. But again, you know, it, it came from that tradition of, yeah, it's for kids, but there are jokes for the adults that the kids aren't going to get. Um, so Chowder was, oh, I, Chowder. I mean, I loved watching that when the boys Chowder. were little. Chowder. 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 Uh, um, Tony Sindelar, you're from Chowdertown. We're going to move on to you. What, what's, uh, you have some dead you'd like to uh, I got. I got three out? dead I okay. will mention here. Uh, first off, I'll mention uh, Primal, which is on HBO. Oh, this is yeah. from, I, I'm never sure if I'm, I'm going to say his name. Uh, Jendi Tartakovsky. Jendi Tartakovsky. Oh, uh, yeah, I love who him. You might know yeah. from uh, Samurai Jack and other many things, who just does amazing work. Uh, the premise of Primal is a caveman and a dinosaur team up and go on adventures <laughs> it's one of those shows that has no dialogue and just looks amazing and uh feels kind of like a love letter to some 90s early 2000s animation uh and uh it's great it's on hbo max if you want to watch it uh moises mentioned uh arcane uh which is on netflix oh, yeah. um and i will say that was a show that i just like well i'll try this i you know i watch a lot of animation and i was really kind of blown away by it. it's this kind of it's based on a video game that i have not played and i was like oh well i'm not really gonna get it but i'll try it uh knowledge of the video game is not in any way important as far as i can tell it's this steampunk uh, adventure uh, story with a bunch of characters in a complicated city, and uh, it's it's beautifully looking uh, and and interesting. And then the last one I'll mention really briefly: uh, poorly drawn lines is on FX. Oh uh, yeah, and I believe is based on a web comic. Yes, and I there's love something the web about comics. that. Yes. We- there's there's I mean there's not a, a universal web comic sensibility, but there are some themes among web comics that I maybe that's where the the new kind of experimental stuff is happening in web comics. So the idea that People are taking web comics and turning some of those into animation. Uh, Poorly drawn lines on FX. I believe I watched it all on Hulu. Uh, was enjoyable and interesting as well. Okay. Those are my Lisa, three dead. Also, Lisa Schmeiser, Home Movies was sniped from you, but it's not a draft, so you you also you also win. Uh, did you have some more dead to discuss? Um, I would like to bring up Robot Chicken. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is definitely an adult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely adult animation right there, um, bringing back the disturbing claymation of our youth, um, <laughs> and I feel like it it kicked oh it kicked down the door that Family Guy kind of opened with its cross referential stuff and pop culture, and has remixed it and done some really really funny stuff. I'm especially a big fan of the way they choose to interpret Emperor Palpatine on that show. <laughs> <laughs> Family Guy had to fart so that Robot Chicken could. Fart Don't finish. <laughs> Could astronaut <laughs> yeah. diaper it. Um, <laughs> the other one I'd like to bring up is one of those shows that hits in a liminal space, but uh, there's stuff that even when kids watch it, they know the stuff is not for kids, and they're motivated to seek out and do stuff. And that's Gravity Falls. Oh, oh yes, which okay. is another basic coming of age type thing where you've got a, a pair of twins, um, beautifully voiced by Jason Ritter and Christian Shaw, who honestly is like an animation MVP. Because mm-hmm. if you listen to how different her voice work is between Gravity Falls and Bob's Burgers, it's astonishing. Same voice, completely different characterization. Anyway, um, Gravity Falls, uh, the twins, Mabel and Dipper, are sent to live with a great uncle in his tourist trap in the middle of the Oregon woods for the summer. Somehow end up falling into an interdimensional um, invasion slash incursion uh there's a really great episode with unicorns there's stuff in there um and and there's like lots of cryptography and ciphers that 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 you're encouraged to solve and 
again, it's mostly for tweens, but there are enough things in that show that are aimed at adults where it's the it's it's again like it's it's the Shira genre. You're like, oh, this this really hits kids in these five specific years and adults can also enjoy it and i just oh also it's a perfect summer watch if you haven't seen gravity falls like you could watch it this summer and you're like oh it's like going on summer vacation i highly recommend it Uh, i want to give somebody else the last word so moises i'm going to do mine first and then give i you know i'm a host i'd like the host (laughs) to not be the last person uh i just two i want to mention very briefly because i gotta i gotta you know shoehorn a bunch of mine uh one is uh you know we mentioned venture brothers uh in passing a few times and i'll I'll highlight it slightly more just as as part of my bring out your dead because uh i think um and david and i david you and i talked about this at one point i think i hit season four on it and like went all right i'm out this is too much i lost the thread whatever and then at some point again pandemic went back and was like all right i'm gonna get through there's some awkward episodes i don't like where this is going and then it was like oh this isn't so bad and then it's like oh my god and the last season it bloomed into a i mean their seasons were very far apart they had production and writing issues you know and funding and whatever the last season i feel like is so full of heart and meaning that it is shocking to me it could exist it is uh i think beautiful in places and meaningful and i was excited to hear there is a venture brothers movie that will come out sometime in the next 15 years i'm sure but it's uh <laughs> yeah. it's underway no offense <laughs> yeah. to them they got a um, yeah. So venture, Dead, I think venture deadlines are not their uh, preferred way of existing. Yeah, yeah. The first episode and, of and Venture Brothers. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What well, I was going to say, the Venture Brothers uh, kind of comes out of the animated version of The Tick, which yeah. was oh, a, so right. a Saturday yeah. morning show on Fox. But it, again, like the the what is it? The little wooden boy episode. Oh my is god! Absolutely impenetrable oh to my kids. God. It's just right. I remember watching it when it aired and going. There is not a child watching Fox that is going to understand a thing that's going on in this episode. I think it's important to note, we have talked about The Tick in the past, that The Tick is in each of its three visual incarnations, moving incarnations. It is so incomprehensible and inaccessible <laughs> that I, it's one of my favorite things, even when it's not very good. Oh, it's yeah. great. Um, the yeah, other one I'm, I had I'm, was... I'm hoping oh. it makes a, a comeback in animated form oh, yeah. that, yes. that allows Ben Edlund to just to, do, do everything. The, pla- with, the with, planets will align again. Yeah, I, I remember hearing Ben Edlund wasn't the, wasn't the joke and Moises or David, you can, I'm sure, or maybe Tony, maybe Lisa, Sean. Uh, they, uh, there was a, a bit that he said when he was negotiating for the animated version he reserved the right at his lawyers suggesting like always keep something back and he kept the live action rights back that was the story and i don't know if it's true but it probably probably is uh the other one is undone which was is rotoscoped so it's animated but it's it's got um uh bob odenkirk in a you know secondary significant secondary role maybe primary role and i would define it and it's um the lead character is uh, has to wear a um, cochlear implant so there's some issues they deal with about being hearing impaired she works in a child care center and um it's i think it's it's, I think, a, uneven, but it's a very interesting exploration in the way they use rotoscoping alongside uh, animation to bring in magical realism. I think it's sort of clever. And another season is coming, apparently, after a long delay. They announced one uh, is coming at some point. So that's my dead. Uh, Moises, what do you uh, what do you got left on your list? If anything? Well, while while it's on my mind, you just made me think of the, the rotoscoping pseudo trend uh, mm. that Richard Linklater uh, pushed forward with Waking Life and then yes. his adaptation of a scanner darkly and then most recently apollo 10 and a half also on netflix um which is is a movie that you that it's perfectly fine for a kid to watch but it's so explicitly about being a kid 
in the 60s and 70s in Houston um, that that it is kid appropriate, but I think really just really made for adults who are over 45 um, at mm. this point. Um, and it's it's a fascinating slice of that time in life um, that has some fantastical elements that, that's really lovely that I, I'd recommend people watch it very recently hit Netflix. Um, something that's that's on this long list of stuff that we haven't uh, mentioned that um, was uh, was the product of somebody leaving SNL or uh, he might have still been on SNL, uh, but the ABC network went, we need primetime animation. We need something that stinks. Uh, and that's the critic. <laughs> oh, yes. I still quote the critic all the time. The most uneven show ever made, I think. Right. I mean, I like oh, there are more there are more <laughs> uneven shows, but it is wildly uneven. I watched it. It is it is from that weird period where, uh, you know, there was money floating around. And if you had a pitch that was, you know, the, the Larry Sanders show, but but an, but an animated show, uh, you know, it would have gotten financed by somebody um, because there, there was uh, there was change rattling around in those couch cushions. Uh, much more recent thing that got a new life along with various other things at HBO Max um, that wasn't explicitly for adults, but um, falls into a kind of She-Ra range of you know middle readers uh could watch it but there there was a healthy adult fan base for it was infinity train um which is this um uh, each each season of it is its own sort of self-contained book where you're following a main character or main characters um, and each of the seasons, the three seasons that they actually made, um, or maybe four, I, I lose track, but it got canceled before its time. But there's a lot of satisfying storytelling in there that has light serialization where you will occasionally see a character that you last saw in one episode of season one um, on this train that goes on into infinity it is made of infinity cars and each car is its own little world within different worlds um and there there's a glowing number on your wrist and what that means and what you do with that um it it changes from person to person um uh actually yeah i want to say four seasons they got um it's very much worth watching it's on hbo max um, and I, I, I kind of want to, since, uh, I, I had it, uh, unexpectedly foisted on me, this wrap up <laughs> job, uh, pull another thing from the, the, the magical Sindelar document, um, right toward the end, which is, uh, you know, uh, Bob's burgers, uh, as do many of these other sitcom style shows, whether explicitly for adults or, you know, for a range of viewers do owe something to the Flintstones, um, and and here here's here's how here here's how I would I would argue that uh, the Flintstones was very much um, animation aimed at adults that kids could also watch because in its early black and white days the Flintstones sold Parliament cigarettes, kids. Um, and <laughs> Those you don't are make, amazing. You don't make something with with oh cigarette God. ads that that isn't specifically hey it's the honeymooners but we just animated it and set it in caveman times. Um, yeah, I, in, in the, in the early days of everybody owning a TV, um, everybody had to be able to watch it and they were most concerned with the, the adults that are actually spending money. Um, so their, their top priority was we need to create a product that the adults are going to keep watching and that we can then make the animated characters sell cigarettes that the adults will then buy. Oh my God. Uh, well, before we wrap up, I just want to uh, tell listeners that they can find more stuff like this on 
TheIncomparable.com. Yes, the Fine Incomparable Network has thousands of hours of programming, and we just wrapped up not too long ago our membership. We love our members month, and uh, we supposed the membership drive, but we also produced dozens of pieces of content for our first class lounge. That's a special member feed that gives you uh, extras. And so we did, uh, for instance, David premiered a new episode of Galaxy Scouts Green. Uh, we covered uh, we did a lot of commentaries one of them was a real genius commentary that jason snow led uh with moises i was on that as well steve lutz and at wistra and david john J. syracuse was not available john to run syracuse it was not av- <laughs> there. Uh, i was, David also was also there and david and i were both on the uh on the uh, threshold commentary if i recall oh. right i kind of try to suppress God. that john mccoy and i did on sophomore lit we did the da vinci code so uh, if you want to find more stuff like that. Why am I advertising <laughs> that as a promotional thing? Go to theincomparable.com. You can become a member, get access to bootlegs, which are episodes that appear like this one just after recorded with all the good stuff we talk about before and afterwards, question mark, that you can hear at once. I'm not doing a great promotional job. So it's left to me to thank Moises, David, John, Lisa, and Tony for being here. And thank you all for listening to this grown up episode. I hope you'll turn your PG 13 rating off on your podcast player. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye. 